Welcome back to the South London Press Football Pod. Episode six now, after a mini international break for us last week. We're back and better than ever. Once again, joined by my co-host Richard Cawley. Rich, how's your week been? It's not been too bad, Ed. It's not been too bad. So with the cowboy music, which some people don't seem to like, I guess this is the dirty half dozen. So we're on our way to to, to 12. But um, yeah, no, it's been good, actually. It's um, It's always a bit weird coming back sort of the cycle of producing papers and the fact that when there aren't matches, it suddenly goes really quiet. I mean, luckily Charlton did have a couple of matches um, that, that have kept us ticking over with some action stuff in the paper and everything. But yeah, a bit of a leaner, leaner period. And you had a, you had a few days rest and recharge as well, but you, you didn't go anywhere exotic or anything like that, did you? No, Costa del Mitchum was as was as far as I went, but no, nowhere crazy far afield. Uh, you, funny you mentioned the, the theme the theme tune, the music in the intro. My uh, my brother wasn't a huge fan of it and asked if we could change it. So, um, oh. yeah, but we're sticking to our guns and we're going to keep it there. So, I think for the yeah. moment, as I said to someone else, it's this whole thing's kind of evolving. There's new little bits as we go along, and we've got a few um, extra little bits we're going to add in this week with some players maybe that are just dropping in here and there. So, um, splitting up some of the segments. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a work in progress. I'm not saying the music won't go, but um, I think even the logo that we had designed up, some people weren't having it this week. You just I don't know. We probably need to have people that work for free for us that can like are very skilled and can do this stuff much better than we can. Yeah, that's all right. Everyone will get used to it eventually. Hopefully, that is the plan. Um, we're going to start with Millwall this week. A four 0 win against Sheffield Wednesday in Joe Edwards's first game in charge. Before the break, a very convincing win with people like George Savile and Brooke Norton Cuffey getting on the score sheet. Uh, you've hopped off Edwards's presser today, Rich. You also went down to the training ground this week to speak to the new boss ahead of his first game in charge at the Den. What were the main lines to come out of the couple of conversations you've had with the, the new Millwall boss this week? Yeah, there was there was some interesting stuff. I think um, one of the things I, I asked um, Joe about, and it's in the paper uh, today, is that I asked him sort of support base who would be there at the game. He said he had eight family members that would be coming to the match. Spoke quite a bit about how his uh, dad, Carl, had been a a massive supporter of him. Wasn't into football before Joe started playing sort of seriously at Chelsea. And um, I think he was talking about how in some of the big moments he'd had in his career before, some of them had been during COVID, like with Chelsea. So, he was at an empty Wembley. Obviously, family weren't allowed to be there. No one was allowed to be there, really, beyond the actual participants. So, I mean, this is an interesting one because it's his first game at home and it's his second match. And I guess I, I was sort of thinking about it. If this is the kind of honeymoon period for a manager, for Joe Edwards to win 4-0 at Sheffield Wednesday is the equivalent of the fact that you're on a, a sort of candlelit table on a Barbados deserted beach and you've had champagne, you've got waiter service, maybe some fireworks over the water, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, I'm not comparing Sheffield to Barbados, but, you know, it's it's a hell of a start. And I did say to him, how do you kind of build on that? Um, I think the thing that's going to be interesting, there's a few different things I think that will be interesting to see. I think when a new manager comes in and they play a certain style, what will happen is opposition managers will instantly look at that, such as Mark Robbins will do, and say, okay, how can we kind of counter what they do? And one of the things that was spoken about at Sheffield was the fact that, particularly when George Savile scored, Joe Edwards was really pleased that all of Millwall's outfield players were in the opposition's half. And I spoke to Jake Cooper about it this week. And Cooper, Jake was saying that there's sort of method, when they were first told how high the line was going to be, he said, what about if someone's on the halfway line? But he was making the point that, A, if you press the striker, um, 
they can't have an out ball to counter that way. And equally, if the ball goes any deeper in the Sheffield Wednesday half, again, you can kind of stop the counter counter attack. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he does with this first home game. There's obviously going to be an expectation level there. There's a real excitement, I think, about what could happen under Joe. Uh, but um, I'm sure that I mean, he touched on it. There are going to be some difficult times. It's not all going to be... Uh, it's not all going to be like it was at Sheffield Wednesday, who have, you've got to say as well, have obviously seen a club that's got a fair few issues on and off the pitch. Um, I think one of the big decisions, and um, Joe Edwards talked about it in his pre-match media press conference that was on Zoom on Thursday afternoon, is the question about who he plays in goal, because he's got Mateo Sarkic, uh, but he's been training completely over the international break. Bart Bielkowski kept a clean sheet last time out. And the interesting thing there is that Joe Edwards made it clear that he almost sort of said with Sarkic, he's, the games are coming so thick and fast after this that it's pretty difficult to say that he would be able to play, drop straight back in and play. So we did have a few people ask what might happen there. I think it's quite difficult to tell, but according to Joe, he's saying that it's not the, like, he, he's definitely not when someone's asked him, is he just going to come um, straight back into the team? But, of course, he was signed when Gary Rowett was manager as the number one. So that's going to be interesting to see how that kind of works out. Would it be harsh on on Bart to lose his starting spot? Obviously, I, I know there's probably slight criticism when he first came into the squad, a little bit more of a magnifying glass on him because they brought Sarkic in for the big money and, and stuff like that. And he was he was brought in to be the number one goalkeeper. But, but Bart in recent weeks probably looked a bit more solid in net. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think it was fair. I think it's fair to say there was a bit of trepidation, maybe a bit more than a little bit of trepidation about how Bart would do. Um, he hadn't obviously played a lot of competitive football uh, before, you know, before he came into the side. George Long had finished last season as the number one choice, um, and so I think there was a worry, like how would he do with that? Uh, the Reading game in the cup wasn't one of his sort of crowning moments either, but. I think around that, there's been some some good saves made by him, some decent performances. I I, I think it would be difficult to see. I, I think it's difficult to see Bart dropping straight out off the back of a four nil win, um, where he made some saves. And so I think I think the thing as well is that with Sarkic with the quad injury, I don't know again how much when you're kicking and everything else that the goalkeepers have to do, whether is he able to play on Saturday and then play again at Ipswich on the Wednesday night, then you play again on the Saturday. So I imagine that's kind of what Joe Edwards is kind of alluding to when he was sort of pretty categorical saying, don't just think that uh, Sarkic is coming back in and he's going to play. In terms of other injury news, obviously did the story at the start of the week that Duncan Watmore had been training and, and also there was an update on Joe Bryan as well. What can you say on those two? Yeah, Duncan Watmore sounds like he would be back available in the squad. Um, Joe Bryan's still two or three weeks away. Um, I think because it's his second groin injury of the since he's uh, come to Mill, Millwall, I think there is, a again, a kind of focus on the fact that you can't really... You want to try and get to the bottom of this and get it right. So it sounds like a slow progress on that. Um, the other injury uh, that looks like it will affect, certainly the Coventry game, is Danny McNamara. He's got a slight niggle with his knee um, and it sounded he trained, uh, I think he trained and then on Wednesday evening he said again it didn't feel quite right. Joe Edwards' message in the press conference this afternoon was that he was very unlikely for Coventry and probably touch and go for Ipswich. So that's kind of roughly where they're at. They've got a fairly, fairly clean bill of health to be fair to them now. It's not quite as bad as it was. Uh a couple of interviews in, in this week's paper. You mentioned already that you spoke to Jake Cooper down at the train ground. We also spoke to Zian Fleming this week uh, for the pod as well, which you're going to hear in a, in a little while, listeners. But how are those two? What did they say? Especially interesting with, with Jake Cooper as well, because he's only, what, is it two Millwall managers he's had in his in his time at the football club or is it just one and with Gary? No, no, he, yeah, absolutely right. He had two. I, I, was, two. Trying to say, I was trying to say to Jake, I think he's played 316 games for Millwall. He's been so impressive in terms of the games that he changed together. And um, he, I was saying to him that when you 
he's played virtually all those games under those two managers. I say virtually all because obviously there was the Adam Barrett caretaker spell and there was also a match when I think it was during COVID when the management team all basically had COVID and it was a match where um, Alex Pierce and Sean Williams took the team. But Jake's played, he talked about it, that he said to me when we were down the training ground that at Reading, you'd have four or five managers at first team level in a couple of years or two or three years at Reading. So it certainly um, is something that he's not used to change. Um, he, he talked about the fact, I mean, all the players have said the same thing, that it came as a surprise that Gary left, Gary Rowett left. Uh, and they've all said that he did a, a really good job. So that's been pretty much universal. Um, but I think he's quite excited by what could what could happen under under Joe and the, the sort of change. And I think it looks like the players have all absolutely embraced it. Um, funny thing on Jake, which is mentioned in the piece, is he had an in, incredible run, 136 consecutive league starts for Millwall. He played every minute in those games until he dislocated his shoulder. Uh, that was in December 2020. And um, he has played every minute in the league and the cup this season. And in fact, he's played the last 20 games of last season every minute. So he's on a run of 37 matches, I think it is, uh, that he's been an ever-present. Such a good signing for Millwall. Um, when you look at the cost of him and the value for money that he's given to the football club, it's uh, it's really impressive. So, yeah, I mean, Ziam, Ziam was in good form. Um, he did mention that, um, well, we'll get into it, a food. He was asked about his favourite food between a, a, a bacon sandwich and a, uh, and a sausage sandwich. And one of the biggest revelations I've had this week is that you have never, ever had a bacon sandwich. I'm <laughs> pretty shocked by that, Ed. In my defence, I was vegetarian for, for 16 years before... Uh... Before I basically I lost the game of FIFA and I was so confident that I wasn't going to lose the game of FIFA that I said I'll, I'll eat some chicken if uh, I'll have like a chicken burger or something if uh, if I lose. Um, lo and behold, I ended up losing. I think he's probably the worst but in terms of my mate's FIFA ability. He was the the worst. I lost, had to eat it, and uh, haven't looked back since. And now uh, to to hit my around two hundred grams of protein daily intake for the gym, I I eat it for probably every other meal. So yeah, it's uh, it's changed a lot. Of course, I'm not saying for one second you can't be vegetarian. There are very good reasons to yeah. be. But as you say, I was quite surprised. And I've heard that there's certain fast food outlets that you've never been in either, which, again, is a bit of a surprise um, just because I think most people have. But anyway, this is the thing, see, we, even these Q&As we do with the players, I begin to learn extra little things about you as well, which, you know, help <laughs> shape my judgment of you as an individual. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of... While you were talking about Jake Cooper there, I was thinking about, obviously, his height and, and Millwall's ability from set pieces. Do you think that's something that, that Joe Edwards is going to continue to try and utilise? Has he mentioned it at all in either press conference or, or down the training ground? No, it's an, that is an interesting one to ask because um, Jake hasn't scored um, since uh, a 1-1 draw against Sunderland nine months ago. So okay. when you look... I mean, he gets manhandled. He obviously manhandles people in the opposition box. But I think some of the ways that people stop Jake Cooper is, you know, they, they definitely could have had penalties. I think if VAR was in the championship, uh, Jake Cooper would be winning penalties. It's Wes Harding, of course, who is the man of the moment. Three goals in his last four. Hit the crossbar against Southampton, so he could have had four in four. Um, so um, I don't think there's any reason to think that they wouldn't stick with it um i did see an interview earlier this week um i can't have the manager off the top of my head it evades me but the, the, talking about short corners and how when you score from them it still counts as that phase of play luke um, williamson uh, at notts county yeah thank you thank you yeah so yeah. so like but i was thinking about that and thinking is that something that Millwall would do but i don't really think it probably helps them because when you've got the height and power they've got in certain positions such as people like Wes Harding, Jay Cooper, Murray Wallace, you know, to, to name sort of the main three. And, and Zian Fleming's very good in the air and, and Bradders isn't too bad either at times. So I, I just don't really see that Millwall are going to really mix that up too much. Um, in saying that, are, 
is there a reason to look at maybe shaping it a bit differently? Possibly. I mean, there are teams that come to the den and, you know, you've got Zian Fleming and Ryan Leonard who can put the ball in with long throws as well. And if you're an opposition team, quite often we've seen teams that have come and they've been able to withstand that aerial barrage that Millwall under Gary Rowett and under Neil Harris would, would ask the question of teams. So I'm not saying for one second it won't change, but I, I don't think it will probably go quite as extreme as, as that. Put it that way. Uh, you also had an interview with George Savile in last week's paper. And, and for those who maybe didn't see it, you asked him about his his den future as obviously a fan's favourite and, and he's back in the team and amongst the goals since since Gary Rowett's departure. Yeah, um, I mean, Sav was saying that, um, that there's an option in his in his contract. Uh, it's up at the end of uh, at the end of June as it stands. Um but he wants to. He said, "I'd love to stay," and he said, "I appreciate the fans. I think he's aware of the fans. There was the, the free George Savile and like a cage behind him that was was kind of when he was out of the team, um, which underlined again that I think fans appreciate the job that he does. Um, it's quite interesting, really, that he is at the moment in there alongside Casper Denore, and you know, there's people like Alan Campbell who've come in from Luton that haven't necessarily always started and. And Billy Mitchell is another player, you know, that has had a couple of really strong seasons and now finds himself out of the team. So I think um, I'm sure it, I would have thought if George keeps performing the way he does, I would have thought it's a it's an easy decision for Millwall to probably extend into that another 12 months. But um, of course, I'm sure as a player, he probably would like longer than that. But then we get into the question marks about how long a deal players normally get after the age of 30. I mean, Millwall, particularly under Neil Harris, they used to, once you got into your sort of early 30s, it was 12 months at a time as they kind of made sure that you were still going to be part of the plan. So, yeah, but that's, so, yeah, Savile obviously has been away with Northern Ireland, uh, played a bit of football and Joe Edwards said that we need to manage that because obviously he was in another 20 head coach, so he's been on the other side of it and he said, you can detrain a little bit when you're away because you don't train loads. It's more prep and matches. But he did sort of name check that George had played more. He was quite happy, for example, Tom Bradshaw didn't... He said he knew Tom Bradshaw would have liked to have played more minutes for Wales. But from a club perspective, it wasn't a major sort of negative that he had a bit more of a break because, I mean, you know what Tom Bradshaw's like. He, he, runs, his, he runs himself ragged up top and... So having a bit of a, a less demand on him physically is probably going to be good news for Millwall. Yeah. And just finally looking ahead to the weekend, it should be a, a good atmosphere at the Den. Joe Edwards' first game in charge. Fans still absolutely flying from the 4-0 in the previous outing. Excited to see what the style of play might look like in person. There's uh, lots to be sort of optimistic for heading into a commentary side who haven't quite hit the ground like they did last season in terms of league position. Yeah, there is. Now, one thing I'm going to confess here is I won't be there on, on Saturday. And the reason for that, trust me, is not one that I want to be missing it for. So it <laughs> is my mother-in-law's 70th birthday this year, or was. And so we are going away for one night, Saturday into Sunday, to a murder mystery hotel. <laughs> and I'm thinking next week we will do a... I'm going to have someone that's committed a crime in terms of South London football uh, and a few other suspects, maybe. So hopefully no one performs too badly for any of our clubs. But it's, it's a murder mystery weekend is something I've never, ever done before in my life. And I don't think it'll be something I ever do again. Um, like a live game of Cluedo, basically. That's what it's going exa- to be. <laughs> exactly that. And I think it's all actors. So you just kind of, what you know, you have a bit of food and stuff like that. I sound very ungrateful because it's what my mother-in-law's <laughs> wanted to do, but um, I would have much preferred to have been um, at Millwall Coventry on Saturday. I can absolutely tell you that without a shadow of a doubt. It's the same problem we experience every weekend, Rich. If only we could be in two places at once uh, to cover both clubs. Only if you could be in three places at once this weekend. That's what I need. Yeah, uh, we're now going to hear from from Zian Fleming, aka the Bermondsey Burkamp, as Rich put forward your Q and A questions from Twitter this week. When we get back in part two, we're going to touch on Charlton Athletic. Um, first of all, um, Simeon has asked, "What part of your game do you think has uh, improved since you came to Millwall?" Oh, 
a nice that's a nice question straight away um, because now I really have to I haven't really thought about that that much because you just you kind of just keep going constantly so I try to I think well I'm definitely sure that I've improved my physicality joining here in Millwall and okay. the championship not yeah so I think probably like power wise like being stronger in duels and winning more 50-50 duels probably because I I remember noticing when I just joined that there were a few duels which I thought I would like win because I was still used to that from back home in the Netherlands and then I lost them and I was like oh I need to step this up and then manage to step that up. Okay. Uh, uh, John Boy has got a question from his daughter. He said, what's your favourite TV programme? Uh, I don't... I don't watch much TV, really. Okay. Actually, well, I do use my TV, but not like TV programmes now. If, if I watch TV, it's more like a series or something on like the streaming services. Okay. What was, the last se- what was the last series you watched? Anything come to mind? Um... The last series I watched is Bodies. Okay. Which was quite an interesting one. That's on Netflix, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was on Netflix. Bit of a bit of a strange one, but it got recommended to me, so I gave it a go. There's a few people asking in different ways about the West Ham charm and uh, and, and do you do you really hate West Ham? But someone else asked what's what was your reaction when you first heard it sung by fans? Um, I think that song is just a good Maybe yes, it's a good example of the banter and the English football culture, I think. Um, where not just with me, but you see it like in, with the Premier League teams or other teams as well, that fans can get like quite creative with songs for their players or for their team. Um, sometimes even in a funny way or some even with the bigger teams that they are, some guys like playing a full song on a guitar mm-hmm. or something for him. So I think it just shows like how passionate everyone is and that they try to really think of something like fun and creative instead of just going the basic way. Someone else has asked a question that I think is quite tricky to maybe answer on the top of your head, but I'll try it anyway. Matt Joy has asked, if you had to pick a five-a-side team from the current players at Real Wall, who would you... Who would you have in it? Is that is that a difficult one to answer when I put you on the spot like that yeah, or not? Yeah, I don't think it would be really wise <laughs> to answer that one because I don't want to do anyone else through it. No, yeah, okay. To be fair, I've never really thought about that either. So I didn't think you were. I, I think that's yeah. incredibly difficult to answer, but yeah. I asked it anyway. Um, another Stephen Jones said, who would finish higher? And he knows it's not the same amount of teams in the division. Millwall in the Eredivisie or Fortuna in the Championship? Um, <coughs> Millwall in the Eredivisie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. You probably don't want to say how high, but it's... it's... Uh, no, how high is really hard, but I can... Like, obviously we've played like a friendly game against Fortuna, and that's always a bit different, but just... If you, if you only take like the amount of games we've got, and how competitive each team is, we, we don't really have that in the Netherlands. So even though teams can be all right and quite nice and good teams but to do that week in week out midweeks as well like mm. three times a week consecutively and keep going at christmas and basically facing a team each week who can beat you because that's actually how simple it is because there's there's not very many <laughs> there's not a lot of weak teams in this division like it's all it's always competitive and i think I think in general the Dutch teams are not used to that kind of constant resistance basically no. of the teams you play against and it's really hard to stay consistent in that. Steve-O's giving a big, big question here. Bacon or sausage sandwich? What, so a bacon sandwich or a sausage sandwich? One of the two, yeah, if you had to choose. Um, I never had any of them really. Have you not? Which might be a very disappointing answer. I've oh, had... No bacon on my sandwich but not just bacon and okay. sandwich so I don't know but I would go for bacon because I've had sandwiches before where bacon is just one of the ingredients along with other or chicken or, yeah. or whatever 
so okay. I'll go for the bacon, but it's a bit of a sweet answer. Okay. Um, Frankie's asked if the playoffs are still the ambition. Yeah, that's, that, that's not changing. That's, yeah, that was and, and still is our goal. And uh, Lee has asked, what's your personal target this season? Um, well, even though, it, <coughs> even though that is a team target, my personal target actually as well is to get to the playoffs. And then, because obviously, like the personal and the team goals, like in my opinion, it can like melt together and I want it to melt together. So I believe that if we want to get the playoffs, I need to help the team doing that and I want to help the team to get to the playoffs and then that's yeah that's that's my that's my goal really so just to get the playoffs and then obviously I'd like to play a big part in it. Last one of the uh, questions that we had come in was from Jack Shock who said how do you find playing behind the front two in a 5-2-1-2 versus a 10 in a 4-2-3-1? Um, it's it is different it's always hard because like formations are not always so fixed as how it appears like before the game if you pick the formation because maybe you, sometimes you can also play a 5-2-1-2 two, two and it's more fluid and people going down the sides so maybe your wing backs are playing as wingers so there's still a lot of grey areas in there but in general I quite like it that I've got wingers in front of me mm. and basically if you play in a 4-3-3 three, three, I've got three players in front of me and in a 5-2-1-2 two, two, I've got two players in front of me so if I've got three players in front of me I've got more options to play with and to pass you. From that point of view I would pick that. Welcome back to part two of the South London Press Football Pods. Moving on to Charlton Rich. Carlisle have new owners ahead of this weekend. I'm not sure if the new owners uh, bounce is a thing in football. But Charlton head up there, looking to close the gap to the playoffs. Uh, you did Appleton's presser today. Any of the main lines sort of coming to you from from that this afternoon? Yeah, there's a few. Um, one of them is that, um, in terms of injury news, not nothing really too promising. Harry Eisted, who's been out since sort of early October, very early October with the knee injury he suffered. Um, Michael Appleton said that um, he'd suffered a setback and. Um, Basically, he was seeing a specialist today or Monday, and then they'd have a clearer indication of how long it was going to be before he was back. Um, I'm pretty sure that I heard BBC London spoke to Harry Eister before the Cray Valley replay. He was at the game, and they had sort of guests that were being brought to them while they were on air. And I thought then that I heard, I could have been mistaken, but I thought that Harry said that he was going to be back, on, he was back on the grass and kind of be back fairly soon. So, that's bad news. I mean, sort of back end of November, you're probably looking at the fact he's not going to be back to 2024. Um, and Michael Appleton pretty much said the same applied to the other players they've got out, Terry Taylor, Chuksanike and Panuche Camera. Um, so those four players aren't going to be coming back um, anytime soon uh, by the looks of things, or certainly not in the, you know, before the, before the Christmas period. Um mm. That was probably the main lines to come out of it. Obviously, Alfie May's kind of scoring form was was something, again, that was spoken about. He's been kind of helping himself to more goals after winning League One's Player of the Month through October. He's he's carried on to have a very good November as well. And um, his scoring record is, I mean, he's got, basically the talk at the moment, I've seen that he's talked about it himself, is that he wants to have more more league goals than um, Erling Haaland uh, by the end of this end of the year. Ha- Haaland's got 28 league goals. Um, Alfie's got 27. The next one's after that. Mohamed Salah has got 22. So um, he's got a bit of work to do to catch Alfie May. I'm sure that's right at the forefront of his mind. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing with Alfie is that he's actually, um, and I've got to thank Stuart Court, CAFC Facts and Stats on Twitter, excellent for any kind of stats and and definitely worth a follow as a Charlton fan if you don't already. Um, I asked him which player had as many goals as Alfie May, which Charlton player had as many goals in all competitions as Alfie May at this stage of the season, and this is in the paper as well, and it's Derek, Derek Hales. He had 18 
in the 1976-77 season. Now, you weren't even born then, Ed. I just about was, which shows what an, what an old bugger I am. But, um, yeah, I mean, Alfie scored again in the EFL Trophy win over Sutton. Um, so he's really, really flying at the moment. Um, he's doing really well. Old pods, if anyone wants to listen to it, he, he answered some questions from some fans. And he talked about the fact, I was listening to it again, today actually he said that he um he probably didn't relax enough when he first got to the club maybe the pressure of being at Charlton played on his mind a bit and took him away from his natural game but he's he's definitely in a really really rich vein of form um he's got 31 goals in 2023 in all competitions and I've worked it out I think he's got nine matches to play so he's got a chance of maybe getting to at least 40 maybe that's ambitious but mm. the way the way he's playing at the moment it seems like it could be possible. I can't believe what a true piece of business it's been getting him in. I mean, I saw a stat, I think it was on Twitter yesterday, someone was saying that he's already equaled the number of goals that Jez got last season, who was top goal scorer. So, yeah, unbelievable, really. And um, is Michael Appleton getting even more out of him than Dean Holden was at the start of the season? Have you noticed? I don't know if you noticed the change at all or has is, 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 is either yeah. spoken about a change in their style of play? I wouldn't say I've noticed absolutely loads. I mean, Michael Appleton said today about how versatile he was. He said he's played he's played as a sort of 7, 10, 11, 9. He's played right across the front line. So he's he's uh, he's definitely talked about the fact that he's versatile. He hasn't always played through the centre. I mean, the Cray Valley game, obviously, Miles Lieburn was through the middle and Alfie was out right. And one of the things I love about Alfie May was that Cray Valley game, you know, He's played non-league, yeah, we get that. But the appetite he had in that game, he was so up for it. He, you could tell he was desperate to get three, four, five goals. You know, he ends up with a couple. Uh, he was a constant threat. And you might say, yeah, against non-league opposition. But he just seems to love playing the game. Um, and just going back to Carlisle, um, it's interesting because it's the first time that Charlton have played at Carlisle since April 2012, 14th of April 2012. And that is when, it's a notable one, Charlton sealed promotion to the Championship. And that was, obviously, the team that was managed by CGRP, Christopher George Robin Powell to his friends. And um, Bradley Wright Phillips scored his 22nd goal of the season. They won 1-0 at Carlisle. And that basically meant that they couldn't be caught and they were they were promoted. So they've got happy memories of, of, of going up there. The reason Michael Appleton's press conference was on Thursday was because the journey's so long. They they would normally travel on a Friday, but they were obviously travel. Uh, you know, they would train on Friday and then travel. They were obviously traveling tomorrow. But um, it just yeah, this one hasn't got the same magnitude. But what? What I think is important for Charlton is they've kind of got themselves back on track. They are back-to-back defeats, Lincoln and Bolton. And then they've managed to bounce back and stabilise in the league. They got a win and they drew at Portsmouth. They played well in the second game at Cray Valley, did what they should have really done in the first game. And obviously now they're through in the EFL Trophy and the draw is today, Friday. Uh, Michael Appleton's already said he wants to go far in the competition. Um, But... They're also right in the thick of things for the playoffs. I think I've said it all along. I don't. I don't think they're out of the playoffs by any stretch of the imagination. Looking at the squad overall, um, when I was taking a look at the football manager squad today, when uh, for something we're going to touch on later, it feels like they've got quite a bit of squad depth in sort of every area. Which I know when you when when I used to talk when we did Gary Rowett or stuff like that, I know you used to talk about squad depth and that it wasn't perhaps too happy about it. But thinking about from Michael Appleton's point of view. Charleston squad looks kind of well equipped a little bit for something like the EFL trophy because there's there's plenty of options and people vying for places. Someone like Carl Anderson, Nathan the Simway, there's there's some good youngsters there as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean they've got they've got plenty of good young players there. Um, you know, uh, Michael Mabik who scored uh, scored in the Quay game. You know, he's been training with the um senior team uh, a bit this season as well. So, you know, they've they've definitely got options there and like you say they've got some good players that um, aren't getting regular football necessarily who can obviously get the game time the question will be whether that squad gets trimmed down a bit in January 
we've said it before, there's going to have to be outgoings if Michael Appleton probably wants to bring people in. And so that might potentially affect things a little bit. But the, the trophy could become a bit of a, uh, not a distraction, but could make things more difficult if they really muscle their way into that top six. I mean, they've got yeah. the FA Cup game as well um, at Gillingham, against Gillingham, which um, is another fixture. If they get through that, they're going to have a third round game in, in, in early January. So that and they've only played, I think off the top of my head, I think they've only played 16, 16 league games so far. So some teams have played two, three more than that. I believe there's a story in the, this week's paper where Michael Appleton was asked about the possibility of free transfer signings in the upcoming window. What can you tell the listeners slash readers on, in today's paper about that? Yeah, it was actually a question about whether after Chuksanike got injured, whether he'd considered... Um, uh, whether he'd basically considered trying to look at the free agent market. And the reason the question came up, um, it was actually asked by Louis for me because uh, he was he was, he was was at the game on, on Tuesday, was um, I, Lyle Taylor signing um, for Wickham Wanderers this week, or last week, actually. Um, it made me wonder whether they'd consider going into the free agent market. The indications I've had is that Lyle Taylor was offered to Charlton. That's mentioned in the piece. Um, Lyle Taylor obviously did very, very well for Charlton. You cannot dispute that. Scored a bundle load of goals a season. They went up. Brentford tried to buy him that following season. Roland de Châtelet was not quick at coming forward with a deal that um, Lyle Taylor would sign. We all know that Lyle Taylor did, well, I say we all know, what happened is Lyle Taylor didn't sign. But what was worse was COVID struck. And when it came, when the team resumed, um, which I think was probably in about May time, obviously Lyle Taylor was effectively a free agent in June, even though the season stretched into July. I think off the top of my head, I think it finished in July. So basically Lyle refused to play. And there's no doubt, I don't think, that if Lyle Taylor played in those matches, that Charlton Athletic would have stayed up. They, in the end, they went down on on goal difference on the final day. And it also took a, a pretty freak result in terms of, I think it was Brentford losing, um, which actually sent them down. So, um, and that was quite late in that game. So I think if the club had looked at bringing Lyle Taylor back, I don't think it would have been with any kind of universal approval. Um but Michael Appleton made the point that it's too much of a risk, he thinks, signing players now because he said you can't really get them fit. He said you sign players based off a player you've seen maybe at their peak or even last season. And he said the reality is they end up getting injured two or three weeks into being at a club or when you start to bring them into the team. So he's not looking at doing that. But what you said was correct. He said that it might well be the case that they'd look at free agents after the January window who had maybe just been released by clubs and stuff like that. So he's not he's not completely saying he wouldn't go in the free agent market, but it's not something he's he's looking to consider at the moment. You mentioned the the reaction. Do you think it would have stayed sort of kind of toxic for for, for Lars entire time at, at the club if he had come back hypothetically, or do you think after a while, once he scored a couple of goals and say the team was looking good and Alfie May was still banging goals, this is obviously all hypothetical. Do you think it could have got back to some sort of mutual relationship or do you think what happened kind of tarnished it too too badly? I think probably you've got a mix like you normally get with these things in terms of fans. There would be ones that would kind of um, say, no, that's it, you're done, I can't, I've got no time for you, I don't want you playing for the club. And then there would be other people that would say, I'm going to forgive and forget. He's back as a back as a player here and stuff like that. And then there would be the others that would be swayed by what he did in a did, did in a Charlton shirt. But um, yeah, as you say, it's hypothetical. But I think for any player, there's always a way back. I mean, if you play stupendously well or or do a really good job for the team, I think more often than not, you're, you're going to be able to, you know, atone partially. But the big problem with that situation is just that it was so costly, the decision at the end of the season. And Lyle was the only one really that it happened with. I mean, Chris Solly didn't play either, but it was a bit more nuanced because I think he'd been told that he wasn't going to get a new deal. Um, he wasn't really playing very much anyway. He, Chris Solly had had 
fair few, you know, his knee and stuff like that, or his knees were an issue. So I think he had quite high stakes to play for, uh, or play or play with rather. So I, I don't know, but certainly with Lyle, you look at you look at the sort of social media reaction and message boards, and people don't, aren't in a forgiving mood for for the fact that he he didn't play and didn't make himself available. I wanted to ask you about Conor Conor McGrandall. Sort of had a little mini sort of revival in his in his Charleston Athletic career in recent weeks. Obviously, he scored the goal. It was the equaliser against Portsmouth. Um, then scored in the the EFL Trophy game against Sutton, which put Charleston's place in the round of thirty two. Obviously, a key player for Michael Appleton during his time at Lincoln. Really got the best out of him. I think he captained some of his Lincoln sides as well, off the top of my head. So, this is someone that the head coach knows how to get the best out of and, and this could work to Charlton's advantage going forward as well. Yeah, definitely. I think Conor McGrandall's, I think he's probably one of the best things that could have happened, Michael Appleton coming in because it's a manager who knows him well. Um, he obviously, you know, got the goal at Portsmouth. He got the goal in midweek, although it takes a big deflection. But, um, you know, the indications were he had a good game. Um, Michael Appleton said that he's not fully, fully fit yet. He's getting there. But I think he's he's probably one that the club obviously were keen would have let him would have let him move on in the um, in the summer window. He was injured at the end of it, but he's probably the one so far who is going to maybe you know has got the opportunity that he might be something there longer term and that he might be part of Michael Appleton's plans. Obviously, the same can't be said for someone like Charlie Kirk, who recently was you know. There was a question asked about about uh, Charlie Kirk, and while Michael Appleton didn't say he wouldn't play again for Charlton, he did make it pretty clear he felt that a, a new start was the best thing for Charlie Kirk. So that's obviously that that's obviously a different scenario there. But no, for Conor McGrandles, he's he's beginning to get game time. He's beginning to play, and the thing is, as we said already, with the amount of competitions Charlton have got, he's going to play more matches. You know, there's going to be FA Cup, there's going to be trophy, there's going to be league games. You're going into Christmas. Big, big opportunity for players to come to the fore and show what they can do. We're going to move on to, to part three, where we'll be looking at Crystal Palace as they aim to get back to winning ways uh, at Luton this weekend. So join us in a second. I'm Zion Fleming and you're listening to the South London Press Football Podcast. Welcome back to part three of the South London Press Football Pod. We're going to merge some of the questions we've had into uh, sent into us this week into the, the Palace section. Because Nick Gusset has asked, Rich, what do you make of Roy Hodgson's comments regarding Palace progression whilst alluding to Kerbishly leaving Charlton so they could get to the next level? I believe this was in reference to, to something that Roy Hodgson said in a press conference before the international break, which was used um, in The Athletic in their sort of fan survey where they, they went around and asked Crystal Palace fans what they thought of where the club is at the moment. Were they happy, unhappy? What do they want to see more of? Uh, and it was taken quite badly, or it didn't go down too well with Roy's comments but with both sets of fans, only because, as you've told me, and I didn't know before, this wasn't the case with Kerbishly. It was a completely different sort of thing than be careful what you wish for. Yeah, it's one of these sort of um, urban myths. It's probably not the right expression, but it's one of those things that has become sort of part of the fabric of the story of why Alan Kerbishley left. And I guess when you've got a manager that had the success of Alan Kerbishley, it is going to be something that rubs a bit of salt into the wounds for Charlton fans or is going to trigger them into kind of responding. It's not the first time that Roy Hodgson's talked about Alan Kerbishley and made it sort of sound as if he was forced out by um, Charlton supporters who wanted more than what they were getting at the time, which, of course, was that Charlton were an established model sort of Premier League club in terms of mid-level um, who were always safe by sort of January, had decent points on the board and then couldn't always usually kick on and get into those European places. Although particularly the year they sold Scott Parker to Chelsea, um, that was a season perhaps where they would have actually done that. But I mean, Kerbishley himself has spoken to me about it. He's spoken to other people about it. Um and I think he um, he had a year, I think at the time, he wanted to commit, Charlton wanted him to commit longer term. But I think Alan Kerbishley wasn't sure what he wanted to do. He'd been at Charlton a long time. 
And I think he wanted to see what was potentially out there because around that time he's been talked about for England, the West Ham job, which of course eventually he did go and manage West Ham. Um, so I think the decision was taken, if you can't commit, we're going to go a different route. And maybe it is time to part ways. So that was the backstory there. In terms of in terms of um, the wider message that Hodgson was maybe trying to get across, it probably was that, uh, and I think he might have said something to this effect, that there are plenty of clubs that have wanted more that are now not in the Premier League or not successful or not seen as stable. So I guess the question to flip, I'd flip it to you almost. What would you say... In terms of Palace, it seems to me that fans fans feel that, particularly with Brighton's success mm. and some of the other clubs that are out there that are doing well, it feels like people look at it and say, well, we've been up longer than some of these clubs. Why haven't we achieved more? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I'll probably regress the mean a little bit because I'm one of the, the sort of Palace fans who have who've come up yeah, we spent a few years in the championship before we won promotion, but the majority of my time supporting Crystal Palace has been seeing them in the Premier League. So that's all I've kind of been used to. But um, when you look at the likes of Brighton, who haven't been in the Premier League as long, getting into Europe and they're obviously better rivals, it does probably sting a little bit for Palace fans. And when you look at, I think the main problem is, is that Steve Parrish at the end of last season stood on the pitch and told the fans that he was going to take the club to the next level. Um, and I'd probably argue nothing to do with the outside sort of side of the club, but with the recruitment and and the way that the squad is, that it's maybe regressed a little bit. It's not it's not really where it needs to be to to take the club to the next level. You lose Wilfred Zaha, who obviously the club did everything they could to keep him, offering him two hundred grand a week to make him the highest paid player in the club's history. You lose him, you bring in a a kid from Brazil who's um, going to need time to settle when the plan was originally to keep Will Fand, Mateus Francher, to, to help Francher bed into Premier League life. But now Palace fans having to put expectation on his shoulders from, from the off to hit the ground running because they need him. Um, and in terms of from the start of the window, everyone knew that Michael Elise was going to be out for a few months after requiring hamstring surgery, on, uh, which he picked up on international duty. So it's... Um, it's just areas of the squad which don't feel quite complete. You know, Joel Ward's still the, the starting right back 11 years into, into Premier League life and he does a tremendous job. But he's he's limited in certain areas of his game and I'm sure he'd probably agree with this. He can't go forward like a modern-day fullback can needs to in, in the top flight to, to really push on. So I think with there's a general sort of apathy around Crystal Palace this season. It feels like the, the season's sort of been... <clears throat> packed in already maybe a little bit um obviously Roy is targeting a top 10 finish and he said that in his interview with the overlap at the end of last season but the squad felt quite exciting towards the end of last season Wilf was out but as in Elise were playing well together Czech Decore was looking really good as well but just feels like they've missed a slight opportunity to actually take the club to the next level and when the Premier League doesn't feel I was having this debate the other day. I don't know whether the Premier League feels like it's the worst Premier League Palace have been involved in or whether the standard is so good between 17, 16 teams that it feels like it's the most competitive one and anyone can beat anyone. It feels like there's a slight missed opportunity to to try and really have a go. And I think that's where the comments and everyone getting angry at the comments really comes from. It's interesting because you can obviously spend a, a huge amount of money not to really go too far in terms of league positions because... I think you obviously Everton's a bit of a cautionary tale now with the kind of repercussions for their overspending. And I'm not saying for one second that a, a Palace or a team like that would need to do that, but it is something that's that's a concern. I think the difficulty as well, I mean, obviously we talk about Brighton and the, the success they've had and it's indisputable, but I think as well that when you look at the Premier League table, even down in those lower reaches now, they're big, big clubs that are down there. And I, I, I get that fans want to, be entertained and they, they they want sort of success and to feel like there's somewhere to go. But as a Fulham fan, as an example, you know, like last season was brilliant because we, you know, we could enjoy it. But this season round, I'm just thinking, are we going to get enough points? And it's not, I wouldn't say it's, it's not hugely enjoyable um, because the good times that there were quite a few of last season, it's not the same. We're struggling to score goals a bit like Palace have been. 
But, you know, with, with people like Elise and Eze there and sort of coming back fully into the fold, you've definitely got the armory there to to, to kind of go on and, and kick on. I mean, you're going to be at you're going to be at Kenilworth Road, aren't you? For your, mm. um, for with, with with the force of nature that is Adam Sells to see to see Palace, um, and um, yeah, so that that's going to be interesting because I mean the indications are. I was asking you beforehand. You think before we started recording, you think Elise will definitely start though. You in this game, so you'll have Elise and yeah. Eze out there. I think this could be the first time this season that Palace fans have seen Eze and Elise start the game in a competitive outing. And uh, for for me, that's that's quite exciting. I mean, Michael Elise is a, is a tremendous young talent. Um, you saw instantly when he came on against Everton, the first thing he did was was pick up the ball and drive past Mikalenko at left-back, who had, hadn't been tested all game. Um, it also takes that pressure off Eze, who was simply s- sensational in that first half against Everton, probably the best of I've seen him play in a in a forty five minute block. Um, he takes that pressure off him a little bit, so he's not just the main sort of creative driver in the team. Um, Palace are very rigid; the, the fullbacks don't really bomb on. Czech Decora and Jefferson Lerma sit quite deep, so you, you need those creative players to to really create some magic for you. I think you saw up at Burnley, Palace really did nothing with the ball for for ninety minutes and walked away two 0 winners. It must be incredibly frustrating as a promoted team because you think Palace are, are a good chance to try and pick up some points and and uh, and they score two goals and, you, and you're left wondering how you haven't taken any points from the game because Burnley had an abundance of chances to try and get back into it but didn't have the Premier League experience. I think that's what comes into to Palace's hands, especially going into this weekend. They have the Premier League experience and they, now they have the creative sparks back. Um, it's going to be exciting to, to see I wouldn't be sort of disappointed if if Elise isn't incredible from the off, only because you know he's had this long layoff, the longest of his senior career to date, um, and there's going to be a lot more expectation on his shoulders now because Wilf's gone, and he's the one who's sort of seen as the main, uh, not creative player because that's obviously a as a, but the main sort of ball carrier, the one who's going to drive forward and really take on defenses. I'll tell you something that I was thinking. We're going to have a very brief bit of FPL chat here. I was having a think this morning and I'm thinking, he's 5.8, Elise. He's cheaper mm. than Eze, who I have had this season, but then he, he had sort of a, you know, he was out for a bit. With Jared Bowen out injured, who I've got in my FPL team, I'm thinking Elise as a differential. Um, but I need him to get assists and goals, basically, to make it, to make yeah. it worth it. What do you think? Well, he- He'll be on set pieces. He'll be on corners, free, uh, maybe free kicks. So he's definitely going to be on corners. So it's not a bad shot. I was looking at captaining Eze this weekend because oh, like it both. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I had a, I had a Western Super Mare before the international break. I took out Mohamed Salah and tried to get really creative with it with my two free transfers and only got forty-seven points. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not been a, a good FPL week for me before the international break. I've had time to sit on it and, and mull over my decisions. Um, and reviewed how I need to be a better FPL manager, basically. And uh, yeah, I've, I've made a few transfers heading into this weekend. Right, OK. And also, uh, a few. I think you were saying that there's some young players that are sort of catching yeah. the eye and sort of beginning to train, train, train up levels. And one of them has got a familiar surname, haven't they? Um, sort of a, another former Palace player and former member of the coaching staff. Uh, it's Jesse Derry, isn't it? He, he does. He does yeah. he play like his dad at all? Does he crunch into people in tackles? Uh, from the bits I've seen for the under-18s when I've watched the games on stream, he looks a lot like Jack Grealish, so completely different from his dad's. <laughs> and, uh, but he and, uh, and Mofi Gemaday have both been training with the first team over over the international break to, just to help build the numbers. But it's also a great experience for them. But even if you look at the likes of Joe Whitworth, who who would initially called up to the England under-20 squad before moving up to train with the England under-21 squad for the first time this week and they're preparations ahead of their Euro qualifying clash against Northern Ireland, which they won 3-0. It's, uh, it's probably been quite a good week for, for Crystal Palace's youngsters in that respect. Killian Phillips also got a goal for Republic of Ireland on the 21 squad. Um, so lots to, to look forward to in the future. And even at senior level, Mark Gahey sort of cementing his place a tiny little bit in that in that England squad. I know John Stones obviously wasn't there. So and Harry Maguire's um, a, a fan's favourite with, with Gareth Southgate. But Mark Gahey hasn't done his chances any harm at all looking into 
Euro 2024 squad. Before we break off and go to the Dons, I want to quickly talk about Football Manager 2024. So the, yeah. let's just set, let's just set the scene here for a second. So it's a feature that you're going to be writing in the paper, and um, so what we thought we'd do is we very kindly got a code for for you to to get the game um, rather than parting with your hard earned cash, and we put a poll on uh, X, Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, um, and they're all there. And I thought, what's going to happen here is Ed's Palace followers and his pal. Palace, you know, fans are going to get behind him and they're going to make sure he's managing the Palace in Football Manager. But no, oh no. So Wimbledon, 10.6% of the vote. Palace, 15.8. 1,827 votes when I looked. Millwall, 29.7. Charlton, 44%. You're doing an Ian Dowie. You're crossing <laughs> the divide. You're going from Palace to Charlton. And you've already, because the poll closed a little bit earlier, You've started, so I want to ask you first of all, what oh. what have they told you? What have they told you you've got to do? What have, what's the target, the minimum expectation, and how's it gone in the opening weeks? <laughs> uh, the targets are to work within the uh, the financial restraints put on the club by the board. That was a, a big one that they they mentioned, and also to reach the playoffs with the squad at my disposal. Um, both of which I think are doable. Um, Looking at the transfer budget, I might have to sell a few players to try and build that up. But I'm going to be mainly working with loans and free agents. I've already made a couple of signings. Um, Sinclair Armstrong from QPR and uh, some others as well to, to try and bolster my my options, attacking options especially. But um, I'm going to look at defensive ones going forward. However, uh, I might need to, to do a, a team building, sort of team bonding exercise with going forward as I managed to annoy all of them in a team meeting by uh, not allowing Tyrese to patch Shaquille Campbell to uh, to head to West Brom. I wanted a million, which I thought was a, a fair shout considering they were trying to take one of my prize assets away from me and they walked away from the deal. And uh, I had Tyrese Campbell and his agent knocking on my deal, door the, the next hour and uh, I don't think they were too happy with my response to, to saying that I didn't want them to go. So, yeah. I would give him short shrift. A million pounds, yeah. Charlton fans would be up in arms if <laughs> if if Tyrese Campbell went for a million. And the idea that the rest of the team are now annoyed at you because you've not sold one of your very good young players seems slightly bizarre to me. But I heard George, any... George Dobson and Corey Blackett-Taylor were knocking down my door the, uh, the following day to have a chat. Um, interestingly enough, we are in Football Manager, the South London Press. I don't know are if you knew really? that. No, I didn't. Yeah, know. Although, although the journalist is called Adam Cook, so Adam Cook. Yeah, okay. Never, yeah, never heard of him before, but he asked. If he, want, uh, he asked if the he hard wants to come and help us. Yeah, he, yeah, he asked the hard hitting questions. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say he 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 asked the uh, the hardest hitting questions in the in the press conference. They obviously taking it from your style. Uh well, you know, I just think that we're just. I think both of us, you know, like. They, they need us in there, really. And then we can, yeah. <laughs> you know, but now if he wants to come and work for us, he can do as well. Because we're, you know, more, the more the merrier, particularly if he'll work for, for three as well. Yeah. But I was thinking about it. I was thinking rather than the special one, you are the SLP one, aren't you? That's what you are. Mm. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm liking it. And the other thing I thought was we've had Garnable at, um, you know, at Charlton. And now we've got Brackball, which sounds like a new variation of tennis because there's there's other versions of tennis that have got those kind of names as well. So but, um, I'm looking forward to it. And we'll have to kind of just have a little bit each week just to see how you're getting on. And then obviously the, the fuller feature will be in the paper um, coming up as well. So it's going to be it's going to be good to see. I think I'm hoping you're going to have a bit of swagger with this. Um, you've already said 442. I'm not sure. 442, is it still a thing? People still well, four. 44-42, but it's also going to be 44 in attack. So um yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be transition. So when we're defending, everyone's gonna set sit deep and then all my wingers to bomb on and, and cross the ball low for, for Alfie May or high for, for Sinclair Armstrong. So there's there's a method to the madness. Yeah, I was gonna have a look. I did ask uh Charlton fans if there was any advice they got, and uh I'm just having a very quick look now again to see to see what's like on it looks like I'm on short, uh, short borrow time already, having my Crystal Palace connection. So, 
Yeah, I think someone, someone, Chris Collingwood, has said advice would be probably but don't get too settled. Most of our managers don't get a chance to get the hot seat beyond lukewarm these days. And I said that you you check the small print on the company car. It's only leased for a month. Um, Valley Floyd Fred said his palace of so the stands can't wait to see him fail. Yeah. Uh, Use Simway uh, and Karoy as starters. And someone's also done a gif of you, Alex Alwit ninety eight of. I think it's Thomas Sangard's body and your head on it holding up a Charlton <laughs> Athletic scarf, which, again, I quite like. Um, uh, one bit of advice, Oscar Bob from City on Lane will get you 15 goals from from Cam in a 4-2-3-1, loan listed two, and he's got a shooting star. He so, has been loaned in already. I beat, uh, I've got it on my notes somewhere, I beat, uh, I use my pulling power to... To be, I think it was Juventus and AC Milan were in on a permanent transfer, but he's come down to the Valley on loan to to spend spend time with Brack. So what, what can I say? If you had that choice, what would you do? I mean, you've got yeah. those couple of European super giants, or you can play for Charlton. I know where I'd be <laughs> heading. <laughs> we'll leave it up to the listeners to decide which uh, which one we're referring to. But um, we, join us again in part four, where we're going to briefly touch on on AFC Wimbledon as they uh, as they host High Flying Notts County at Plough Lane tomorrow. Okay, so we're heading into the last part of the of the pod, and we're going to talk about AFC Wimbledon. Uh, um, their game at the weekend looks a tricky one on paper for them. Ed. They've got Notts County who are going really well. I mean, not as well as Stockport, who just seem to be, well, they're just going like like the clappers at the top there. But mm. Notts County, there was always a feeling that them and Wrexham would equip themselves very well at this level. And it's, it's looking like that's the case at the moment as they get ready to face the Dons. Yeah, definitely. Um, looking at Wimbledon's sort of past outings before the, the Wickham game in the AFL Trophy, which got moved forward, <clears throat> excuse me, after the... Milton Keynes game got postponed. Wimbledon were on a really good run, actually. Three sort of wins on the bounce. Um, good win against Doncaster in the league, which Johnny Jackson needed because there'd been a little bit of a slight change in in turn after their impressive start to the season. Um, beating Crystal Palace's under-21s, who had Francia, Hamada and, and Malcolm Everway on field. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been OK, actually, in recent weeks for, for Johnny Jackson's side. Um, it's going to be a tricky game, but... Ali Alhamidi back from international duty, always a massive plus for them. Um, and as I mentioned before on the pod, I think that this Wimbledon squad is actually a, a very, very good squad at this level and has more than the capabilities of competing against any team. I think the, the main thing for them is in recent weeks, they've been trying to sort out the home form. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago in the paper that if they wanted to, to try and get promotion from League Two this season, that one of the main things they needed to address was their home form because only Forest Green and Sutton at one stage had worse off home records in the division and they were at the bottom of the table. And Wimbledon a few weeks ago were being tipped for, for playoffs maybe. So um going to be a big game, nearing a, a sort of near sellout at, at Plough Lane, so it should be a good atmosphere. Um, I think one of the main things that Johnny Jackson might need to be looking at or, or trying to address is trying to get James Tilly amongst the goals again hit the season hit hit excuse me hit the ground running uh when he joined from Crawley over the summer that scored seven goals I think it was in the sort of in the first two months of the of the campaign um astounded that he wasn't nominated for the player of the month by the league but goals have dried up in recent weeks with Ali Alhamidi starting to find the net again also with his assists Omar Bagel chipping in so there are routes to goal from sort of every avenue but James Tilly was so excellent in the first sort of couple of outings that Johnny Jackson must be scratching his head trying to find out how to get the best out of him again. Uh, just touching on an interview you got in the paper this week, you spoke to Hussein Baila, um, mm. a player that you he's talked about it in the piece you did. His career has been a bit disrupted by injuries. He still sounded from the piece you did incredibly positive and also incredibly grateful that he's kind of around the first team and getting the experience that he has. Yeah, doing the research for the piece, it was sort of caught me by surprise that <clears throat> he's only played 25 senior games for the club. It feels like he's been around for a lot longer. and But maybe in my head, he's been talked about for a lot longer, talked about as, as this exciting young prospect coming through. And when you watch him, Rich, he's, he's full-blooded into every challenge. He bombs on forwards. He's incredible sort of versatile wing-back, right-back sort of player who, who's, who's very good for the level. Um, 
but his career hasn't quite probably gone the way that he'd hoped due to due to hamstring problems. It's been a recurring sort of problem for him since since he stepped into senior football. And I wanted to find out how he coped with those, how he's coped with his latest one, which has ruled him out all over pre-season. He redid it again as as pre-season was underway and was forced to miss the whole start of the season. But he's been playing in the last six outings. He's uh, he's played a a role in in every one. And touch wood for him personally that. It looks like he's he's found a little a way of of trying to combat the problem. He mentioned that stretching and has become a daily sort of routine for him, and and that's helped. Um, but he's also mentioned he wants to go on and, and achieve bigger and, and better things in his career and going forward. Um, he spoke towards the end actually about looking to get Wimbledon into the playoffs this year, which he thinks they have a squad more than capable of doing. Then hoping to get the the team back into the Premier League, which he believes where the club deserves to be so um an ambitious young young lad who's had his career sort of stop started by injuries but um he'd be a huge huge boost to johnny jackson and to afc wimbledon if he can stay stay fit for the majority of the season we touched on lyle taylor earlier and obviously he's now at wickham who uh, wimbledon ended up playing in the trophy the other day and it threw up the question again i saw some pictures and i think you might be able to tell me more but lyle was talking to fans i was in the away end um uh, before the match, I think. He's obviously mm. been in the away end at Wimbledon Games um, in recent years. He's obviously got that connection with the club. I, I guess I throw it back. I wonder whether, do you think that there's a very strong likelihood that Lyle Taylor ends up playing again for Wimbledon before he ends his career? Maybe even quite, I mean, the deal he signed, I think, is short-term at Wickham. So it depends how he does there. But do you think it's a real natural path for him that he'll be back there one day? It is, yeah. I think I think there's a there's a there's a chance, definitely. I think you could tell when he was commenting underneath. I'm not sure whether it was Instagram or Twitter, but it was one of the social media platforms. He was calling Wimbledon home, basically, and he achieved so much there. I think it was it 50 goals and 150ish appearances. Um, it was a real talisman for them, and still spoken about so so highly by the fans. They absolutely love him. You know, compared to Charleston, where things didn't happen for one reason or another due to circumstances, he's still absolutely adored. By FC Wimbledon fans, I think they were hoping that there was a chance he was even going to be rejoining this year, so yeah, in the in the summer. But if you're looking at the window coming up, and and they have to sell Ali Al Hamadou due to the interest that he's picking up from teams in the Championship, if Lyle Taylor's deal only lasts until the 16th of January, I think it is, then you can see them maybe trying to knock his door down and and getting him to come to Plough Lane a year early and help finish off. The job he started and get AFC Wimbledon back into to League One um, be a nice sort of way to to round it off in in football narrative sort of style, wouldn't it? To to go away, to come back, and then to help the team get to back to where you left them. So yeah, it's uh, Wimbledon fans would definitely like to see him back one day. And um, you know, bits and pieces that you hear up people who talk in and around it was that he'd probably like to do it as well. So um, fingers crossed for for their sake that it does happen. We're now going to bring to a close episode six of the South London Press Football Pod. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, any questions or anything that comes across your mind in, in the week, whether it's to do with our four clubs or football manager, um, please do get in touch. Rich, thank you once again for joining me. Cheers, Ed. Well hosted. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back again next week, touching on all the main topics from our four main clubs. 